Shri Guru Vaishnava Guru Parampara ki jai. Grantaraj Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai. So, tonight we are continuing our discussion of the fifth chapter, first canto, Srimad Bhagavatam. Last class we discussed the uh, Sutta's verse and then uh, uh, several verses spoken by Narada to Vyas. So Sutta gives us a bit of an introduction from the previous chapter and in which Narada appeared on the scene and the scene was the despondency of Vyas. And so this chapter continues with that theme and uh, Nard's words then to uh, Vyas concerning his despondency were discussed and now tonight Vyas responds in three verses. That will be followed by Nara's response, which takes us to the balance of the chapter. And in that response, he further elaborates on the two, two of the three themes of this chapter that have already come up in, in uh, Nara's initial prodding of Vyas and inquiring from him, why are you despondent? What could it be? Hmm? Um, glorifying him for his parentage and uh, lineage and uh, his knowledge, theoretical and realized, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> and two of those three themes of the chapter will now also come up in Vyasa's response. And those two are the futility of the paths of jnana and karma. Karma here means the, the dharma marg, or the path of pravriti marg. We call it nivriti pravriti. Nivriti means path of, of renunciation of things, if you will. And pravriti marg, marg means the path for acquiring things, but in a, in, a, in a systematic way, in accordance with Vedic injunctions and so on and so forth. The pious life, heaven bound or oriented as opposed to liberation oriented with regard to the path of Gyan. Um, so these are two of the three uh, points. Uh, I guess we could say there are four, but uh, the, uh, the, the two points being that the path of Gyan and, and karma cannot satisfy one, only bhakti can. And in the context of bhakti and its glorification, the third point, if you want to call bhakti the third point, I suppose you could say, but it's an emphasis on bhakti with regard to what? What will we say, according to Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu? An emphasis on bhakti and consideration of if it's deprecating jnana and karma, what are those in relation to bhakti, uttam bhakti? They were the tatastalakshan of bhakti, hmm? that which bhakti, uttam bhakti, is not covered by jnana, karmadi, anavritam, not covered by jnana and karma. Hmm? 
Hmm? So, um, and then the third point, Hari Kirtan. Hmm? This will come out in the chapter. Narada is, of course, depicted in this way with his vena traveling everywhere and chanting the holy names. Narada Muni Bhajai Veena, Radhika Ramana Name, as Bhakti Vinod says. Chanting Rad, Radha, Radha Krishna, Radha Raman, playing his veena everywhere. So, again, now, uh, further emphasis on these two points, the, the futility of Gyan and karma. Hmm? So this is a big point here in, in the Bhagavatam. This is repeated again and again, and you can see Rupa Goswami is taking the distilled essence of the Bhagavatam with regard to explaining the ontological position of bhakti, its application in sadhana, in, in, in bhava, in, in prem, uh, bhakti rasa, all the constituents of this and uh, of it and so forth. So the, these, uh, uh, in this um, uh, beautiful definition that uh, Rupa Goswami has given of bhakti, in which the tatastalakshan is, is described as well as the saruplakshan, the primary characteristic cultivation of favorable service to Krishna, and the tatastalakshan, the, the uh, uh, foregoing of jnana and karma, then the motivations that lie behind this type of movement in the world. These are really the two tracks that material life runs on, jnana and karma, either systematically, according to the, in, 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 under the guidance, for example, of the sacred texts, to pursue the jnana marg, renunciation and mukti, or to pursue the karma marg, um, material acquisition, heavenly attainment, and so forth. Or, unsystematically, people are also moving along these two tracks, Boga and tiag. It means to acquire things, to enjoy them, and to give them up after being, becoming disgusted with them or after they don't prove to be fulfilling. Hmm? So this is the way our material life uh, moves, so to speak. Hmm? And, of course, within bhakti, hmm, we have... Anukulena Krishna Anushilanam, Bhakti Ruttama. It's Anushilanam. Anushilanam. Anushilanam means, implies both an, an acceptance and a, and a rejection. Hmm? Yeah, therefore, Rupa Goswami will go on to explain in Sadhana Bhakti um, that there are things to accept and there are things to reject. Certain things you don't do that aren't favorable to Bhakti, certain things you will do. So there's a, there's an acceptance and a rejection. There's a there's a karma, if you will, and a, a actions that you embrace, and then there's actions that you you don't embrace. It could also be said, and Rupa Gos, and Jiva Goswami has at this uh, anushilanam, drawing from the root of the verb. There, the, root, the verbal root shila means an active and an inactive. It's another way of thinking it. Active meaning the movement that bhakti often constitutes, um, visible movement, action with the senses, hmm? like chanting, the tongue is vibrating and dancing and feet are moving and hands are being, uh, being raised as we see Mahaprabhu did during the Rathiyatra and so forth. And then a non-movement, 
the other side of it. So that would be like the emotive internal, the emotive experience, bhava. Hmm? So you kind of have this, my point here being, you have this perverty, nivrity, hmm? within the context of bhakti in a healthy way. Hmm? So bhakti takes these two tendencies that our life runs on hmm? and gives them value, really, positive value, meaning um, it harmonizes these two tendencies. It's kind of the middle path, therefore it's said, with regard to the adhikar, or eligibility to tread the path of bhakti, one cannot be too much disposed towards renunciation, neither too much disposed towards acquisition. Again, jnana and karma. It's the middle path. Because why? Sometimes, for Krishna's service, we have to accept um, things or enjoyment. If I say to you, please, take prasad, you can't say, oh no, I'm fasting. At least if you are fasting because it's ikadasi or something like that, then you say, I will honor the prasad, and you pay your obeisances to the prasad and so forth. But generally we'll take it and taste it, and it, yeah, it can taste pretty good. So you are enjoying in the context of bhakti. And there will be instances where we have to give up things in the context of bhakti. So, um, But these are not... The focus is the focus is to love Krishna, and if if for if for loving Krishna, I have to accept lots of money and live comfortably, I'll do it. If for serving Krishna, I have to live uncomfortably and be poor, then we accept our fate. So the renunciation and the acquisition, it's kind of a byproduct of the central focus. But both of these tendencies, as I say, that our material life runs on and that most people um, pursue systematically, either in accordance with the sacred scripture or not. You have your you know, Wall Street people systematically, they have a system to try to acquire. Hmm? And then there are people who, uh, who, who also seek to uh, renounce and attain uh, some uh, inner experience or spiritual idea unsystematically, and they go about all, they make up all kinds of practices for such and so forth. So, at any rate, these things are found within bhakti in a healthy way. We could give an example, Pujapatrita Marshwanski, that the, the from the glacier that the Ganges originates from, up in uh, in uh, what is it, Badrinath. Gomuk, yeah, Gomuk. I've been there. Um, the water comes down and it reaches the Bay of Bengal. Now there are other tributaries that come down also, but they may not be powerful enough to reach the Bay of Bengal. But if they connect with the Ganges, then they can go to the Bay of Bengal. So gar- karma and jnana, they are not powerful enough to take us to the Bay of Bengal, take us to the ocean, Akila Rasa Amritasund, we'll never go into the ocean of Bhakti Rasa. Hmm? We'll never know Brahman as Rasa. Rasa Ubai Saha, by these paths. Hmm? And this is, of course, Vyasa's problem here. He, he, he is uh, exemplifying a, a problem and uh, just like Arjuna exemplifies a conditioned soul who has a problem here, 
Of course, Arjun was conditioned, and his his dilemma was a little bit different. His dilemma was uh, was was whether he should follow the Dharma marg or or not uh, in the beginning. Vyasa is beyond the Dharma marg, although that's addressed here. He's situated in Gyan and self-realization and so forth, but he has not sufficiently emphasized bhakti. The implication is he hasn't sufficiently tasted the ocean of bhakti. So we don't think that uh, that uh, Vyasa or Arjun really are without uh, the experience that we are after, but they're, they're utilized in the context of Leela for demonstrating these important points to us. So this is what we're discussing here, and uh, so we come to now Vyasa's brief response to Nard before Nard begins to uh, elaborate philosophically on the problem for about 14 verses, and then it'll be followed by then his own merciful uh, story of how he realized the things that he just tell, told Vyasa, tells his story. It'll come up uh, to an extent here, in the texts that we discuss tonight. Um, so, first of the uh, three verses, text five, Vyasuvacha. Asti eva me sarvam idam phayoktam tatapi natma paritushite me tanmulam avyaktam agala bodham prichjamahe tvatma bhavatma bhutam Savaibhavam bhavan veda samastakuyam upasito yat purusha parana parabharesho manasaibhavishpam srijati avati ati gunair asanga. Tvam paryatan arka ivat trilokim antas charo vayu ivatmasakshi parabhare brahmane dharmato vritai snatasya me nyunam so Narada, so, so Vyas, Vyasu Vyasu Vyas said, he said that what? He said, Asti eva me sarvam idam toyoktam. He says that uh, what you have said is all true. You've got me figured out. Yes, you understood. I'm despondent. And you've appeared perfectly on the scene to address the situation. Vyasa's implying that he has some confidence in, in, in Nard, that Nard is the solution to his uh, dilemma. Hmm? Remember, Nard was appearing, he sat, he smiled, as if to say, I understand the problem, hmm? nothing to worry about. So he's inspired Vyasa. Vyasa has some confidence in him. He says, you know everything. You perfectly understand my situation. Um, that despite all of my uh, good qualities and all that I've attained, um, I'm not satisfied. This is a bewildering. I mean, the implication is he's a liberated soul, a jivan mukta. Jivan mukta means in this life, before the parabdha has expired, one becomes liberated. This is uh, um, not something that is emphasized in the bhakti marg the way that it is in the jnana marg. To be a jivan mukta in the jnana marg is like, whoa, 
That's everything. Rupa Goswami says in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu that Iheryasya, what is that? Iheryasya, oh, I used to know that verse a long time ago. He says, Karmasamanasagira, Jivan Mukta Suchate. In the context of bhakti, the implication is one uses his mind, his words, his uh, his, his uh, actions, all in Krishna's service, and liberation comes about automatically. It's not his objective. Because it's not his objective or her objective, mukti, but bhakti, but love of Krishna, prema is, it's not given the same kind of emphasis as it is in the Gyanmarg, which is the end result. Okay? His parabdha is not yet the clock of his parabdha is not yet the fan, I could say, of his parabdha, which has been unplugged, is still going around, he's liberated, he's witnessing this. Hmm? So this is a big thing. This is, the, this is the penultimate state for the jnani who desires mukti. After that, he, he gets videha mukti, from jivan mukti to videha mukti. Jivan mukti means liberated in this life, witnessing, waiting for the parabdha to exhaust itself. And videha, mean, videha means like, Beyond the body, he enters into the Brahman. So the Jivan Mukta is the penultimate, the, 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 the second to the last uh, step, so to speak. We would have a second to the last step, which we would call in Bhakti Marg of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Swarup Siddhi. Hmm? The devotee becomes perfect in understanding their Swarup, and then they take birth in Krishna Leela and perfect themselves further and enter into Vastu Siddhi. Hmm? So, uh, Vyas is kind of playing the part here of a Jivan Mukta, and he's, he's not satisfied. Hmm? There are many statements, of course, as to the possibility of a Jivan Mukta again becoming implicated in the world, hmm? from that penultimate state of the Gyanmarg, again becoming implicated. And, of course, there's also a strong emphasis that even if a person is is a jivan mukta, but has an aversion to bhakti, hmm, then he can never get videya mukti. Without bhakti, there's no mukti. The bhakti has a merciful form, uh, sattviki bhakti. It's interesting because the jnanis will say that bhakti is in the mode of goodness. Hmm? And it's a tool that helps one to get liberated, and then you let go of it. We'll argue against that because we speak about uttam bhakti, nirgun bhakti, that bhakti is transcendental. Hmm? And it's, it's, it's something that goes on after liberation. It's a post-liberated activity that mercifully descends into our minds and senses even before we're liberated as a means to... Uh, liberated life, and it's and it continues on afterwards and so forth. So we say that bhakti is nirguna; it's not a constitute of sattva guna. So we'll argue against that, but at the same time, what they say is not entirely untrue. There is a sattviki form of bhakti, in which she manifests herself to fulfill the ambitions of the jnanis, who take to bhakti as a means to mukti. Bhakti can give mukti. Now, have we ever read anywhere that mukti can give bhakti? No. So the position of mukti of bhakti should be clear from this. At any rate, the point is here that without bhakti, there's no mukti. Hmm?
And the bhakti that can give us mukti is only a partial, kind of a shadow of bhakti, sattviki bhakti, bhakti in the mode of uh, manifesting in the mode of goodness to assist those who have such desire. Yeyatamam prapadyante. They have to have some bhakti. They approach Krishna in a particular way. This is what they want. This is what they'll get. So anyway, Vyasa is playing the part here of a jiva mukta, and he's not satisfied. Curious, if you don't know about bhakti or understand the full implications of bhakti and so forth. So, uh, he says, therefore I'm questioning you, what is the tanmulam of yattamagadavodham? What is the root cause of my despondency, O you who are agadavodham? Because he's glorifying the art. You know everything. Hmm? There's nothing that you don't know. Prichchami tvatvam, tvatma, bhavatma bhutam. He says, uh, uh, you know everything. You are the, um, the, tvatma bhavatma bhutam. You are the the offspring of the unborn Brahma. So we may recall that Narada, in addressing Vyas, addressed Vyas in consideration of his lineage. This is the etiquette. If you say, if I say, welcome, what is your name? You say, my name is Golokadas. I'm a disciple of Sri Bhaktivedanta uh, Swami, Triparari Swami, Maharaj Swami, Maharaj. Then I know who you are. If you say I'm Goloka Das, you haven't told me that much. Hmm? I know you're some kind of Das of Krishna. Okay, but who, where? How, what is your lineage? Who is your guru? Hmm? Then okay, then I know how to exactly how to address you. Hmm? So he said uh, he addressed Vyasa. Uh, oh, Vyasa, you're the son of the, the offspring of Parashara. You have a great parentage that you're coming in, of the, of the sage, uh, his, his lineage, and so on and so forth. So now with, with Narada, uh, Vyasa is responding, and he mentions the lineage of Narada. So I said here, in the context of these uh, three verses of Vyasa, something about uh, Narada's life will come up, which he tells the story of later on in this chapter. Um, it's a, his story is told in a few places in the Bhagavatam. It's told here, it's told again in the sixth canto, in a different way. And Narada is a very um, important uh, figure in the Bhagavat uh, literature, in the, in the Bhakti Marg, for that matter. He authored the Bhakti, the Narada, they're, told, they're called Narada Bhakti Sutras. Just like you have the, the, the Brahma Sutras, so the Bhakti Sutras. So Anard is, uh, is famous in the Pancharatra literature and so forth. So he's a very important figure. Indeed, uh, he, here uh, Vyas goes on to say, Savai bhavan veda samastu kuyam upasito yat purusha parana. He says, you're God. Hmm? Hmm. He basically addresses him more or less as Bhagwan. He says you know, he's giving the one side, if you will, of what Vishnu Chakravitakur says in his glorification of Sri Guru when he writes, when he sings, Sakshad Horitena Samastha Shastra. 
Throughout all the Shastra, it is said, Sakshadhuritena, that the Guru is Sakshadhuri, just directly Hari. Hmm? And he goes on to say, Kintu Prabhurya Priyavatasya, but he's also dear to Hari. So he's God, how can he be God and dear to God at the same time? So there's a kind of a oneness with God. Hmm? Um, and in this context, as the Guru, it's we're all kind of one with God. We're one and we're different at the same time, of course. But the Guru is one with God in a representational context. Just like the ambassador, for example, the United States in a foreign country should be treated as the emissary of the president and his word should be taken as what the president and his cabinet and so forth wants to say on a particular subject. So we treat him with a certain amount of regard. So he's addressing Nard like this. Nard is, uh, again, is a very important figure. So he's, a, he's, a, he's a, in some places considered Shakti Avesh. This is a kind of avatara of, of Bhagavan, a kind of a descent. Avatar means descent, the descent of a particular potency, in this case, the Shakti of Bhakti. So not, Vyasa is actually also an incarnation, a Shakti of Vesha, of, of the Gyan. Hmm? And the knowledge hmm? aspect, and so he's given all the Veda, the knowledge, Veda means knowledge. And Bhakti, an art of Bhakti. Hmm? He's described him in both ways here. He says, Savai Bhavan Veda Samastu hmm? You know all the secrets of the Vedas. You're Bhagwan. Hmm? You're, 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 you're as good as God. And upasito yat purusha purana. Why are you as good as God? Because you do the upasana to the purusha. Purana means you're always serving God. You're God and you're always serving God. So he says both things here. In the beginning, the first part will be more important to us. The guru is, 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 is to be regarded as if God it means we're supposed to pay attention there. If God comes in the room, we think, well, we should pay attention. Hmm? And so, in fact, he is. God is coming to us in no way more, um, more readily, more, more, more directly than in the form of the guru. The guru is the Kripa Shakti of Bhagwan. Hmm? So, the Kripa means mercy. We want God's mercy. This is the venue through which that, uh, that mercy is extended to us, that compassion and so forth. And, and there are many gurus in the market, so, so to speak. So we, we, we find a particular guru by God's grace, as we described last time, Brahmanda Brahmite Kon Bhagavan Jeev Guru Krishna Prasade Bhai Bhakti Latabij. Jeev is wandering in the, in, the, in the universe. By the grace of God, he gets the guru. By the grace of the guru, who gives the seed of bhakti, the, the devotee gets God. Hmm? So... Mm. So, so the guru is very um, important to us, and this side of the guru that he's that he's God in a representational sense. This will be emphasized first, and in, when we pay attention, therefore, to guru tattva, hmm? guru devaya vidmahe, we want to understand the tattva of guru. The more we start to understand the tattva of Guru, the better we are able to. Krishna nandaya dimahi. 
to meditate on the ananda of the guru, the, the love with which he worships Krishna. Hmm? So first understand the tattva. Hmm? All this confusion in the Gaudiya community, and there's a lot of it since Prabhupada left, who, who, Prabhupada who spawned the international uh, interest in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Um, much confusion about Guru Tattva. With all, when you see this confusion about Guru Tattva, you can say there's no Krishna Nandaya. Dimahi. Hmm? There's no... Uh, that has to be worked out. So when you find these, I love Prabhupada and I hate everybody else kind of thing, you know, then there, there, there's no, there's no real, no progress there. So we move from one to the other. Understand Guru Tattva, it's a big topic. Hmm? And uh, so it comes up again and again. Here it comes up. Oh, he's, this is the one side. He's as good as God, in the words... If God says to you in your meditation, if Krishna comes to you and says, I'm over here, come and do this for me, we'll first go to the guru and says, say, this fellow appeared to me, looked like Krishna, the one you were talking about, said, come over here, should I go or not? He'll say, yes or no, something like that. Hmm. There are the stories of how the Vaikuntha Dutas, messengers of Vaikuntha, came to take the devotee back. He said, I can't go, I've got some service for my guru here that I'm, I'm busy with. Hmm. This kind of guru-nishta, this is very uh, important, foundational to our spiritual life. And it's not something that's legislated. We're not mandating here. I mean, this is, this is, this is how we should be drawn to a guru, with affection, by the force of his or her um, uh, character and command of the, of the knowledge and so on and so forth. We're drawn in and we must make our claim there. Hmm? So, uh, Vyasa is expressing his faith in, in art. He, he, he glorifies him as good as God. And at the same time, he, kind of the answer to his whole dilemma is, is, is mentioned here kind of inadvertently without him thinking about it. Upasito yat purusha parana. So, you're always worshipping the supreme person. Hmm? And, you know, he goes on to say, and you're traveling everywhere and so on and so forth. Um, so, uh, Nard is exemplifying here the perfect, the perfect guru. Um, and his lineage is mentioned. So, something about his lineage is coming up. The story is being told later on in the chapter, but again, it's told in different places of the Bhagavatam. He's a very complex person, this Nard. In fact, Jiva Goswami says, sometimes the role of Narada will be played by uh, another. So there's a role for Narada. There's a, there's a, like Brahma has a post. There's also the post of Narada. Hmm. That's curious. Uh, uh, so it's very, very complex. Therefore, Narada tells also, for to give another example of the complexity here, he tells his story, and it's the story of a, of a, of a sadhaka who becomes a siddha. In this chapter, he tells the story that I was born as the son of a maidservant. That's a nice way of saying I was born and I don't know who my father was, which doesn't sit, speak very well for, for my mother, if you will, in, you know, at least in times gone by. <laughs> and, and so... Uh, um, not a high birth. Not a high birth and... Uh, 
and um, and and yet during the rainy season, the sages came. They were devotees. They took shelter at their house, and they taught him the Bhagavatam, basic ideas, the, con- the living idea of the Bhagavatam, and so forth. And as we'll hear, they left. His mother got bit by a snake and died, and so he lit the house on fire. That was the funeral pyre, and he walked out, following the inspiration of the sages. We know one of the things, obviously, they told him is the temporal nature of relationships in the world, and and the futility of trying to amass your own kingdom, and so on and so forth, your house with a fence around it. And so he took it to heart and burned the whole place down, walked off, just chanting the mantra that he received from them. And he'll tell a story, and he became perfect. Bhagwan came to him, gave him darshan, then disappeared, so that he would have more eagerness to go the final distance. Then Bhagwan appeared and gave him his swarup, gave him the veena and the body. And that's a very important subject, how, you want, how the body is, a, the siddhadeh has a gift for Bhagwan, and so on and so forth. And um, and and then later in the sixth canto, Nard is again telling a story how he was previous to this birth described in this chapter, a Gandharva, hmm? famous uh, musician, heavenly type of mu- musician, and some some clankety clank uh, Sankirtan party came, and they were not like you know musically very sophisticated. Hmm? <laughs> Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's actually his musical. Uh, Kirtan was not uh, known for being music, musically, you know, extraordinary. It's folk music, really. It's not like classical Indian music with the sitar and and so on. You know, it's a clay drum. The implication is, you know, they sort of fashioned it out of clay and from the Ganges mud and uh, and some, you know, symbols. And there we go. Hmm? And chant from the heart. Of course, you know they, they, they're Naratam, and um, who's the other one? Hmm. Naratam and and uh, the two styles of Murdanga playing. Naratam. Hmm. Kadada, I'm thinking of someone else. Anyway, there are a couple of distinct styles of the Murdanga and so forth that were developed and. So it has its, you know, its its system, its 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 uh, method to its madness and so forth. But it's a simple kind of folk music, hmm? not sophisticated like classical music. So the Gandharvas are great classical musicians. Here come the Sankirtan, and so in that birth, he would become would become Narada. Hmm? He criticized the Sankirtan for being not musically very sophisticated. So this was an aparad then to the Nam Kirtan. Hmm? And so because of that, his birth as a celestial was, his karma, the result of his offense was that in his next birth, he would have to be born on earth and in a low, have a low birth, hmm? if you will. Hmm? And so, but you see that there's two results from that. He did aparad to Nam Kirtan. But nonetheless, he, he heard the Nam Kirtan. So there's some benefit from that too. Therefore, the devotees, unbeknownst to them, but working as they do under the will of the Lord, moving under the will of the Lord, they came to his house. Hmm? They stayed there for four months. They taught him about bhakti. 
The implication is the offense from his previous birth is being washed off. Hmm? The good effect, he got further sadhusanga hmm? and stuck with him and he took to it and so forth. So these are some of the stories of Nard. But at the end of this chapter, or towards the end, after he gets to Swarup, because the question is here, he said, he's, he's the son of Brahma. Well, wait a minute, he's the son of Brahma. He's the son of a, he was born as a Gandharva, he's born as a maidservant. So when he got his Swarup, hmm, then in the context of, well, the Lord's will and Leela, he was taken into Brahma and into Vishnu for the sleeping of Vishnu, for the for the Pralaya, hmm? the time of Pralaya. So he, he, he manifested his form and then he went into the... Instead of going to Baikuntha, hmm? so this is a special situation for him. It's not the typical... It's not the, the, it's not, it doesn't describe the typical course of events. It's not that you get liberated, you get your swarup, and then you enter into Mahavishnu. Hmm? We come from the Mahavishnu, and if we don't get liberated, we go back in and out and in and out. And when you get liberated, then you go to Bhakuntam or to Goloka. But Nard went back into Vishnu. So this is for this will of the Lord that he'll again come out in the universe. And so he's always in the universe. Of course, he's always appearing in Vaikuntha. He's appearing, he appeared as a Siksha Guru in Vaikuntha for um, Gopukumar. Hmm? Um, he appears in Dwarka, he appears in Vrindavan sometimes. Um, so he's a multifaceted uh, person. Uh, in the context of the Leela, it is said that, that, that Madhu Mangal was, uh, was schooled by Narada. And from, a, from another point of view, because Madhu Mangal, the, 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 the Brahmin friend of Krishna, the, the Braj Leela, we have Swam Bhagavan, this is the fountainhead of all incarnations, and all his associates then are in their kind of primal state also, and then they expand into other leelas wherever the Lord goes with him. So from another perspective, Nard is the expansion of, of Madhumangal. We find Srivastakur in Gaur-lila to be a representative of Narada in Gaur-lila. And when, during the Rathiyatra, after the Rathiyatra there's a ceremony where Lakshmi comes out hmm? and, uh, and, and chastises Jagannath and, and so on and so forth. So Mahaprabhu was taking great pleasure in relishing this and he asked Srivast and said, just see, and he said, he said your uh, goddess is very opulent. The goddess of uh, uh, Lakshmi is, is very, very opulent. And uh, uh, so he's referring to Srivast with regard to his being a representation of Nard and Vaidhi Bhakti. Hmm? Uh, reverential love, and then he says, Srupdamadar, who embodies, whose embodiment, uh, who is Lalita Saki, the embodiment of Ragmarg and Vrindavan Bhakti. What's your position there in 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 in, 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 in There's your Lord is not very, very um, opulent there, just a dusty village and so forth. So they have a he Mahaprabhu fostered this mock debate between Vaikuntha and 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 Goloka which is better and so forth. And so the Srupadamadar made some very nice, very nice points there about Vrindavan. It's filled with desire trees. And nobody has any desire for anything other than loving Krishna and so forth. So he kind of won. And when he won, 
Srivast Thakur, Nard, puts his hand underneath his arm and goes like this, and starts making noises and so forth. This is like Madhu Mangal's typical kind of <laughs> yeah, uh, craziness. You know, he's a, he, Nard is called the farcical, what, what is there? There's a, there's a term, the farcical Narada. Hmm? Um, what does that refer to? Uh, uh, farcical Narada. Um, at any rate, the full implication of it is that he's a, he's a manifestation of Madhu Mangal, who's a farcical Brahmin, who's like a Brahmin in name only, and all you know. It, typically, in in the world today, a Brahmin should only eat as much as he needs in order to to serve, hmm? as much as he can preach and speak, as much as he can eat, something like that. Hmm? And of course, in Goloka, Madhu Mangal is just eating all the time, <laughs> and he's like the typical, like abusive, what would be an abusive Brahmin in, the, in this world. But that's all in the context of Krishna Lila. So anyway, Narada Shiva shows himself. Narada shows himself to be, from a higher point of view, if you go up in the Lila, representation of of um, of Madhu Mangal. Hmm? So. Uh, Nard is a complex uh, person. Hmm. And here, Vyas refers to him with regard to his the famous idea, that, that the general idea, the son of Brahma, the mental son of Brahma. Hmm. Very extraordinary. He's more extraordinary than that, as we're explaining, but that's big enough in itself. And Vyas is saying, you say my lineage is, is extraordinary, what about yours? You, 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 you have such an extraordinary lineage. You must have all knowledge and so forth. You're always worshipping Bhagwan. So I'm sure you can, I have confidence that you can resolve my dilemma for me. Hmm? So an important person, Nardin, he, he, he is both a sadhana siddha and a nitya siddha. So as you see from the complex uh, explanation of Narada, just like Shiva Tattva, there's all kinds of manifestations of Shiva and so forth. So Narada is a very uh, uh, complex person. Vishwana Chakritaka in one place says he's both a sadhana siddha and an nitya siddha. So depending on how you look at it, when he tells his story in the sixth canto, and here in this canto, he's telling a life of how a sadhana, a sadhak, one becomes siddha by sadhana, becomes perfect through spiritual practice and so forth. Hmm? This is important. It's said that there are nitya siddhas, those who are eternally with the Lord, and then those who become perfect by spiritual practice, that uh, the uh, knowledge about which and um, the means to apply oneself in relation to comes through the Guru Parampara and so forth. Hmm. Some people have some idea that the nitya siddhas are better than the sadhana siddhas hmm, in today's community. But actually, um, Prabhupada addressed that once. He said, "Siddha means siddha. Whether you're whether you're by sadhana or by or you're always like that, makes no difference. Makes it up an important point because uh, well, it, it it brings to mind an important point because some people are under the misconception within the range of various Gaudiya sects. Some people are under the misconception that that way in that we have come to this world from Goloka. We've fallen from the Leela. This is a very wrong idea. Scripture very clearly points out that we, that, that Mahavishnu expands the world and the Tatasta Shakti, the Jeev Shakti, emanates from him in this world. Hmm? 
And then the Lord descends as the avatar through Mahavishnu to collect us up and give us the opportunity for bhakti. Hmm? The opportunity to choose bhakti. Kind of. What do I mean by that? How do we get bhakti? Do we just go and pick it? We get it by Sukriti. Right? Narada in his life as a Gandharva went against bhakti and he got bhakti. He thought, what is this set this kirtan? What kind of music is that? Huh. And he got bhakti. See how merciful the Lord is. Is it just, as people would say, well, unless you have a choice, how can it be love? Well, <laughs> did Mother Yashoda choose to love Krishna? She's the epitome of motherly love for Krishna. We are to follow her if we want that kind of love. Or Sridham's love as a friend of Krishna. Did he choose it? No. Hmm? That's the kind, and if we want that kind of love, he's the kind of person that we'll follow. Hmm? And he can't fall down. So if we follow him, of course, how can, how can we fall down? So they'll say, of course, these people in this misconception, they'll say, yes, Krishna says in the Gita, that once going there, one never returns. That means for the sadhakan, sadhana siddha, who goes there and never returns here, but some who've never been here, they come here. So who comes? The ones we follow to get there? Does that make any sense? Hmm? You understand? You follow in the footsteps of Subal or Lalita. Hmm? To get there, what, what does it mean to follow them? That you are imbibing and following their, their love. So what you get is their love. Is their love faulty? Hmm? If they can fall from that, then how can we? This is a very wrong idea. Siddha means siddha. As much as a sadhana siddha cannot fall, certainly a nitya siddha can never fall from there. Hmm? It's an impossible idea. You think about it. People have some problem on the other end of the spectrum, the logic of it. Well, you see, when you're lower down on the scale of theoretical understanding and actual realization, you will be more concerned with your own rights hmm, than you will the nature of perfection. The closer you go theoretically and actually imbibe the theoretical understanding, embrace it, and the closer you go with regard to realization to perfection. The more you understand the prayojan tattva, the goal, theoretically, and the closer you come to it, the more difficult it is for you to think of a f some kind of flaw in the perfection. Hmm? But the less you're able to imbibe the teaching about the nature of the prayojan of the goal, the more you're concerned with, well, how can that be? God might be bad. Why did he make me suffer? Hmm? I want my rights. Hmm? I have free will and so forth. We have some free will. We, are, we would be called, in one sense, compatibilists with regard to free will and determinism. These are the two things. Either things are all determined or there's free will. We say there's free will and things are determined. Hmm? In the context of, the, the, of nothing moves without the will of God, hmm? there's also some scope for minute free will on our part. There is some choosing of bhakti, yes, but it's hard not to choose it when you become predisposed towards it from the sukriti that's created by the devotees. In other words, devotees come and they do Hari Kirtan and you're sitting there have no idea what it is, but you, 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 you're influenced by it. Hmm? 
So next time you're associated with them, you're more inclined to hear what they're, they're about. And by the, the transcendental arrangement, well, you come to the temple or the devotees come to your town or whatever it is, and you're building on something invisible. It's coming entirely from the other side. Goloker premodan harinam sankirtan. The sankirtan comes from that side to here. So the Lord reaches out to us. And we become disposed unknowingly. Then in the context of that, we go from unknowingly being involved to partially knowing what we're involved in to actually deciding... Yes, I should take this up. We call that shraddha. That's sometimes thought to be the beginning. But it's like the beginning of a plant that comes above the ground. But first you put the seed in, something's going on underneath the ground that you can't see. Hmm? When it pops above the ground, you can formally tread the path. And then I, you, in the context of that, there's some choosing. It's basically the choosing of how soon you'll get there. <laughs> right? Otherwise, it's pretty difficult to get off the path. And you got on the path by Krishna's love for you hmm? through the Guru Parampara. Hmm? So to be so much insistent upon free will and choice and, and to, to say, there's no, without, without choice, there's no love, therefore I have to have, be able to choose, and therefore I must have had love and I chose not to. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and in this way, you also want to take the blame off of God for the world, hmm? this is also a nice idea. You don't want to blame God for the evil in the world, but there, but from the really from the metaphysical point of view of Godivashan, there's no one to blame. It's only Krishna. Krishna and his shaktis. Where are the shaktis of Krishna? Who's to blame? Hmm? God's doing what God does, and we're part of what He does. Hmm? So to fight for our rights and so forth, this is, this is based on a misunderstanding, to some extent, of what we are. We're entirely dependent entities. Hmm? And it's not such a bad thing. Tell it to Radha, tell it to Subal. <laughs> it's not so bad. <laughs> Krishna is all attractive, hmm? all lovable. Hmm? So just from that we know it's not a question of choice. He comes in front of you and then you, how, what other, Rupa Goswami says, don't go to the banks of the Jamuna. <laughs> because there Krishna is standing, playing his flute, bending in threefold form. And if you see that, you'll never be able to enjoy family life and, <laughs> and all the things, uh, the pleasures of the world again. He's saying, if you go there, you're finished. You chant the name, you're finished. <laughs> Even if you don't want to chant, and you chant, darn those Hare Krishnas. That's the teaching. Isn't it? Still you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> so much if you're, <laughs> you know, we want to emphasize Krishna's mercy more than our will. We'd have to have to exercise ourselves. We have to make some effort, effort to get more, to position ourselves such that more grace will come our way, something like that. So this whole idea of fighting for rights and want, wanting to, um, emphasize this point of will and, uh, and that I made a choice so that God won't be blamed. It's all based on a very big misunderstanding of the whole metaphysical um, I, 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 I idea of the Goswamis, the Chintya Veda Veda, the Vedanta, the, the Advaigyan Tattva of the Bhagavatam. It's too much emphasis on the difference. Hmm? 
we are as much one as different. The more you go one, the one side, the oneness, who's to blame? It's Krishna doing what he does. He has something called Srishti Leela. We're part of it. So if we get to get closer to Krishna, to liking Krishna, then this isn't a problem. <laughs> it's not a problem. The further we are, the more we, we start to make a problem. And then we, and then the people can't relate to this. Well, wait a minute. You know that sounds like original sin or something. You came from the Mahavishnu. Hmm? You were defective from the start. Hmm? Sounds like original sin. Well, whatever. It is similar. It's different. <laughs> There's such, there are some similarities. Yeah. You think, is that a problem? Hmm? Might be a problem in the modern, you know, Christian Western world of thinking, but we have a different way of thinking hmm? that we're trying to teach people. Hmm? So, look at the logic from the other side. Then, if you've got a problem with that logic, I say that the logic of that problem is a, is a logic that arises from an over-identification with yourself as a as an independent entity which is the whole problem of the, of the material existence. We're not an independent entity. Hmm? We're not fighting for our rights and in, our individuality. We say you're an individual, and then they, you take it in the wrong way, and you're fighting for your individuality, and it, it, really fighting to be one with God in love. Hmm? There's an individuality in the context of that. Hmm? So, some, so the problems that people have with that um, that logic comes from their conditioning. Now let's look at the problems from the other side. In other words, if you want to say you fell from Goloka because the, the logical problems of not having fallen from there are, are not computing for you. Well, let's take it to the other side then. Are there any problems on that side? Hmm? Well, if you said, as these people do, going back there, going there from here, one never returns. So the sadhana siddha goes there and never returns. Then who, who does come? Who falls down? It must be the nitya siddhas who fall down. As I said, how can the ideal that we're following be, uh, be fallible? Hmm? That's not a good, <laughs> it doesn't look good. Why would we not fall then? Because rag anuga means to follow in the wake of the raga of the eternal associates of Krishna. Hmm? Furthermore, okay, so if, if they are going to fall down, what is the position of that? How does that work logically? Okay, One is a nitya siddha, means they have all knowledge, hmm? perfect knowledge. They never make the mistake of choosing maya. That's the implication of having all knowledge. So how can a person who has, who is omniscient in that regard choose ignorance? I mean, does that make any sense? Hmm? How can a person whose knowledge is perfect choose imperfection? He would know, to start with, that's a problem. Hmm? That's the whole problem. That will, that, that, that will cause suffering and that's undesirable. And so that's the implication of their all-knowing. So how are they going to choose that? Hmm? And if somehow... You know, it doesn't happen, but they did. What do we have then? The Nitya Siddha falls down, has to become a Sadhana Siddha, and follow a Nitya Siddha <laughs> in order to go back and never return. Now, that is a logical problem that's just, that, that you can't ignore. 
You you can't you cannot you cannot work that out. The logical problem, the apparent logical problem that appears from well, if I'm coming from Mahavishnu and I wasn't originally with Krishna, then then I didn't make a choice to come here. Then sometimes it's partly Krishna's fault, and that can be worked out. Yeah, hmm? God is behind everything. Hmm? You can't understand His will entirely, but hmm, that's our teaching. Mahavishnu's leela is all. This is, this is His will. Hmm? We, we can explain it nicely. I mean, He 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 is real compassion, also Bhagwan, hmm? Mahavishnu. From Him, the the world manifests, and and the jivas, he is always above the material influence, but the jivas who are his part and parcel are small in size. So, in proximity to material nature, where his leela takes place, the shristi leela, leela of creation, they get overwhelmed by maya. That's uh, inevitable. And then he avatars, or avatars come through him to remedy the situation, to give us the chance to take up bhakti. What's the problem? Hmm? Not only that, that's what the teachers, the teaching, the, the scriptures clearly teach. The problem, of course, is that Prabhupada said some things, even Bhakti Siddhanta, even Bhakti Manodhakur said some things at different times that would indicate, it sounds like you fall from Goloka. Hmm? And so people have latched on to that. He also said the opposite, as I'm explaining. You have to look at the two and see, oh, this is the Siddhanta. They're saying this maybe for another reason, because origins are difficult topics to deal with. If you come to your mother at five years old and say, Mommy, where did I come from? She say, well, one day we found you in the chimney, a big bird dropped you off, you know. How are you going to explain everything to the child at that age? So sometimes simple stories are given to make it easier to digest and we just get on with the practice and so forth. And as you become more advanced, that means as you become less inclined and prone towards being an independent entity, hmm? The more you can digest. I'm part and parcel of Bhagwan. He does what he wants. No problem. Suffering is a perception. Only it's an angle of vision. I know that doesn't work for people who are suffering at the time, but that's not what you tell those people at that time either. <laughs> They're not ready to hear that. And you may even foster to their to their to their suffering condition. Vaishnavas just don't go to the to the poor people, the, the the starving people, and say, "Hey, it's not a problem. It's only an angle of vision." Actually, no, they feed them plate after plate of prasadam. <laughs> uh, so we're not insensitive to the plight, but we do have some higher understanding of the of what the, the remedy of it is, is 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 really a different angle of vision. So anyway. Side point, but Nard is a sadhana siddha and a nitya siddha. Sometimes he's um, portraying the life. I, he's called a sadhana siddha because he portrays the life of a sadhana siddha hmm? who offended the Harinam, who took a low birth, who further got association, became perfect, and so forth. Hmm? And who's better, the nitya siddha or the sadhana siddha? Of course, both are perfect. Hmm? We'd be more inclined towards the sadhana siddha because they've come and they're showing the example for us and so forth. In one place, I think Brihad Bhagavatamrita Sanatana Goswami speaking about Prahlad, who's also considered a sadhana siddha. Um, that the sadhana siddhas are better because 
their, their bhakti is tested, like Prahlad was tested. <laughs> it's just a way of talking about it. Neither, neither is better. But hmm? To make a point though, that, that, that somehow the sadhana siddhas are less than the nitya siddhas is, is not, very, not very useful. So then the final verse, he says what? Um, Like the sun, your goodness can travel everywhere in the three worlds, O Narada. Like the air, you can penetrate the internal region of everyone, like the life airs. Uh, as such, you are as good as the all-pervasive super-soul. So he says it again. Please, therefore, find out the deficiency in me, despite my being absorbed in transcendence, under disciplinary regulations, and vows. In other words, he says, Paravare Brahmani, Dharma to Vratai. I was expert in Dharma hmm? and and I was expert in in Gyan. I realized Brahman, still I'm dissatisfied, not fulfilled. You can you can figure it out. You you, you tell me. We can see that he already knows in one sense because it comes out, oh your life is perfect because you're always worshipping Bhagwan <laughs> Narada. So now Nari will go and he'll emphasize here what is the usefulness of Gyan and karma in relation to bhakti, what is the, what is the utility of bhakti, the, and, uh, and so on. Beautiful teachings of Narada, Tuvias, um, kind of the essence of, in one sense, of Sumad Bhagavatam. So, any question? Yes, Prabhu. Um, with regard to the point that Sitta means Sitta, didn't we read recently in um, Gopal Champu, thank you. In Gopal Champu, that in Goloka, the sadhana, there's practically no difference between the sadhana siddhas and the nitya siddhas. There's no distinction made once you. There's a difference in that. The Nitya Siddhas are constituted of Sarup Shakti. The Sadhana Siddhas are constituted of, of Tatasta Shakti, but they have the ingress of the Sarup Shakti. But um, there's no difference in terms of their functioning and participating in the Leela. Hmm? The difference might be also that, that the Tatasta Shakti Sadhana Siddhas are following. Hmm? But then again, some of them will be leaders for others who come hmm, mm. in their group, uh, and so anyway, yeah, there's there's no there's no practical difference. There's no pra- there's no like uh, class warfare there or anything. Krishna <laughs> 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 uh, loves everybody, and everybody loves Krishna. All right, so we we'll stop there. Grantaras Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai, Premanande.